Evening, everybody. Good to see everybody tonight. Good to have both members as well as guests with us this evening. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Romans, the third chapter. Romans chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you this evening, uh, know from now on when you come you'll need one. <laughs> but also there's one made available for anybody that might have forgotten theirs. And, uh, and so we invite you to turn to Romans with us as we'll be studying from that text and reading from that text here in just the next few minutes. And uh, appreciate your presence here this evening. It's been a good day of worship, hasn't it? We started off, some of us started off at 8 o'clock this morning. And, uh, and, then, and then again, uh, you know, Bible class at 9.30 and then worship at 10.30 and then here we are again. I've always wondered, you know, just in just a thought uh, that occurs to me, a lot of congregations uh, in our day, in this country at least, have started canceling services, and instead we're adding to services. That says something, uh, but uh, not not maybe in the same way. Those eight o'clock Sunday morning is for those uh, who uh, are masked, and so that's kind of a different thing. I thought I was going to pull my ears off this morning. We were uh, we were singing with our masks. On. Every time I took a breath in, my ears went forward uh, because of the straps, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, make do, and, and uh, glad that we're that we're actually able to do that, and, and hopefully that will be something that benefits uh, several among the congregation who are not able to be here because of restrictions that they have uh, due to uh, low immune systems and things like that. And so we're very thankful that uh, that they get to be part in that uh, as they were this morning. We'll continue that through this month and then reevaluate that. But it has been a good day of worship, and one of the great things about Sunday worship is that we get at this congregation, we get to end the day the way we began it. And I don't know that there's a better way, a uh, more preferred way, that Christians would like to spend their time than in worship and honor of God, study of His Word, the songs that we sing, the prayers we give. Especially around the Lord's table. I don't know about you, but that is, uh, even on Sunday night, when I've been here Sunday morning and I'm not actually physically partaking on Sunday night, it's still most one of the most special things about our worship is to think on Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Because it's true, as has been said several times today, where would we be without Him? Well, uh, as we begin this evening, I have a question for you. Do you love being a Christian? Probably I would be right in, in the speculation I have that all of us here this evening would answer, at least the majority of us would answer, yes, we absolutely love that. Our life is revolving around that in so many different ways. What about this question? Do you love being an American? Again, I would say probably most would say, yes, I love being an American. It's the best nation on earth. And I would agree with every word of that. I do believe that's the case. Let me ask you this question. Does being a Christian sometimes make being an American difficult? What about the other way around? Does being an American sometimes make being a Christian difficult? And I would say to that, uh, probably most of us would probably agree yes on both of those questions. We would agree probably yes. In some ways, yes. Romans chap chapter 13 addresses 
two important responsibilities of the Christian. The first that we're going to be looking at this evening in our study together of this great chapter is the Christian to governmental authorities. The second part, the second half of this chapter deals with fulfillment of the law verse, uh, with regard to love. Fulfillment of the law by love, maybe is a good way to say that. And we'll, Lord willing, look at that at a later date. So today, tonight, we're looking at the idea of the Christian with responsibility to government. It is a very practical section of Paul's writings. In fact, I made the point maybe in the last couple of times that we've looked at the book of Romans, the last couple of lessons that we've looked at, that uh, Paul is dealing with relational, relationship issues from here on to really practically the end of the book. I mean, it's where much of what we studied prior to chapter 12 was educating us on what was coming in chapter 12 on. And so in chapter 12 forward, we have principles where I like to think the rubber meets the road. In other words, this is where the application is to all the things that we have learned in our study through Romans. Uh, chapter 12, all the way really to the end of the book. Uh, so what I put up here is a, a chart that helps us to see that in the book uh, of how it is that relationships are important to the Christian. They are important to God. And Paul has covered, or is going to cover, uh, really every area of life that we could think of in chapter 12 onward. Uh, everything in our life falls under one of these categories in some way or another as a child of God. Can you imagine being left without God's direction on our relationships as a Christian family or church, for example? Can you imagine trying to do it just, just, uh, just on our, our ability, our own human wisdom, try to make good in that area of our life? Can you imagine that? It would be horrible, wouldn't it? What about our relationships in our homes? Husbands toward your wife, wives toward your husband, parents toward your children, and children toward your parents. Can you imagine living life without God's instruction as a child of God? Can you imagine that? Looking back, I mean, looking at that saying, if I weren't a Christian, how great would my family life be? I have told people before, Two great choices I've ever made in my life. One is becoming a child of God, and two is convincing Angie the best choice she could ever make was me. <laughs> I have to say my wife has put up a lot, put up with a lot with me as a Christian. I can't imagine what she would have had to put up with with me not being a Christian. <laughs> And maybe you could feel, uh, 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 maybe you could say the same thing in your in your relationship as a husband or as a wife, as a parent, as a child. Can't imagine my children having to grow up with a father who was not acting and trying to be a Christian because it was difficult as a Christian. I can't imagine not having been one. What about an employee or being a boss? Can you imagine running your business just on human wisdom? I've worked for bosses, as you do or have. In fact, the matter is, some of the worst bosses I've ever worked for are Christians who didn't apply Christianity in their, in their position. Right? What about government? 
Well, now we're getting a little too close, maybe. <laughs> Don't talk to me about government. I have my politics. You can have your politics. God says, no, that's not the way it works. You have God's politics as a Christian. And that's true just like any other relationship we have. We can try to do it without God or we can try to do it with God. If I'm saying to you, if we do it with God, we're way ahead of the curve. We might not get everything right. But can you imagine our relationship to our government without God's involvement as a child of God, as a Christian? I'm probably talking to some people here who would be anarchists if it weren't for their Christianity when it came to the government, right? What about the government? Aren't you thankful that God tells us the best way for us to conduct ourselves under civil authorities? I am. I'd probably be in jail or worse at this point. (laughs) No one probably felt what Paul was saying more difficult than the people he actually wrote it to. The brothers and sisters in the church at Rome in this particular part of the first century. And the reason I say that is because these Christians were not just living under some bad emperor. They were living under the worst by the name of Nero. And if you've had any history, even secular history in school, you know Nero was the worst of the Roman authorities in the history of Rome. Under his government, Christians were unjustly targeted. You remember the man burns down Rome, half of Rome? Blames everything on the Christians, and from that time forward, the Christians are targeted, not only by him, the government, but even by people who were citizens in that government. Falsely accused, many Christians were put to death in theaters, by gladiators and animals. The list of the ways that he killed Christians is absolutely horrifying especially those of us who've studied history that are Christians. It wouldn't be very many years from the time that Paul sent this letter to the brethren at Rome that Christians would see their loved ones impaled, slathered with tar, and set on fire to ignite the arenas wherein the citizens of Rome would enjoy the theater that they, were, that they had come to see. Paul wrote these words right in the middle of Nero's reign. But I'd like for you to notice that this section of text is not meant to address what happens when a government goes so wrong. I want you to notice these words that we're going to read are meant to address rather the Christian having a proper attitude under civil authorities that are doing what God tells them to do. Now, I will chance it, and I will say probably none of us here have ever heard a lesson just from the text. And don't get your hopes up. You won't hear that tonight. But the first half will be about that. And then in the the very tail end, just before we close this evening, plan to look just briefly at how a Christian should act when a government goes wrong. But first, that's really not what Paul's dealing with in this particular section of our text tonight. Rather, he's dealing with proper Christians dealing with a proper government. 
That should be a no-brainer, right? Well, if you serve a good government, it should make it easier to be a Christian. I will say to you that that is not always the case. Just like other areas of ease, we can fail to be the Christians we should because of the ease of being who we ought to be. Sometimes difficulties make us stronger as people of God, and sometimes blessings make us stronger, and God knows the difference in when each is needed. So this section of text helps us to understand the right kind of Christian under governmental rule. And, uh, and, and if you want to know more about the, the government uh, that has gone corrupt and how a Christian is to respond to that, as I said, we'll touch on it just a little bit this evening. But if you're taking notes, here are some passages that you might want to jot down and go back and do further study on that we're not really going to touch on this evening. Romans chapter 13, Paul's concern is the Christian under civil obedience to a government acting within its rights and its purposes, as God has created it to do. So first, Paul says, let every person be subject to governing authorities. Now two things we can take from that. One, every person leaves no person out. If you're sucking air, you're in this, you're in this, uh, this thing that Paul's talking about. And the second thing we notice is this term subject. It means to obey, to, uh, to, uh, to be ordained by God, and therefore our, our responsibility is to submit, to obey, to put ourselves under governing authorities. A recent civil disorder of, of burning buildings and, and shootings and murders and, and general chaos and unrest in some of America's uh, metropolitan cities. That is not the Christian way. That is Satan's way to deal with government. The Christian's way, however, is not like that. And we see that in this text. God would not instruct the Christian to go, down, to go around burning buildings, shooting citizens, to, to steal and rob from stores. That's not a Christian way of thinking and dealing with governments, even if governments have gone uh, corrupt. That is not how Christians act. It's certainly not how Christians act toward governing authorities. A person may feel very strongly about something. I understand that. But our reactions and our attitudes, ladies and gentlemen, must always be in reverence to Jesus Christ and how He would deal with problems in His world. And we never see Him doing that in the Bible. Even with the worst kind of, of, of rulers who were hypocrites and sinners... We do not find Jesus acting this way towards civil authorities. God knows what is going on in our lives and in our governments of the world, whether this one or another. We must work within His way of working and in His timelines. Look at verse 1, the last part of that verse. For there is no authority except from God, and these that exist have been instituted by us, the people, we the people. Wrong. Those that exist have been instituted by God. When it comes to governments and their abuse of power or peace, God will deal with them according to His infinite knowledge 
and His power, even within voting rights. God has full control, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God will always take precedent over any system by which a government exists. He has that ability. He has that power. Well, wait a minute. Now, our country's a little bit different. We vote people in. It doesn't matter. If God wants a certain person in, that person will be in. If He wants him out, he will be out. And it really doesn't matter from that degree how we vote. Now, having said that, is it right for a Christian to pray God? Is it right for a Christian to work under that civil government in order to allow everyone else to know what Christianity looks like? Yes. In fact, I would say it's a Christian duty to do that. I wrote down here, let's not vote this coming election, brothers and sisters, on party affiliation. Can we do that? Rather, on moral and biblical observation. How about that? Did I say something I shouldn't have said? <laughs> oh, my grandson? That's my boy. That's my boy right there. <clears throat> but isn't that true? Should we... Should we prioritize moral and biblical observations in the leeway that God gives us in our country when it comes to government rule? To think more about what pleases God than what pleases a party. I'm very serious about that, ladies and gentlemen. Too many Christians get caught up in politics when we ought to be caught up in biblical priorities. Pray for God's will in our government. Vote on things that the Bible says are important to vote about in our nation. Things that matter to God should matter to us. We should vote accordingly because God gives us that right. We are of all nations most blessed. So many people who are Christians are like those that, we read, that we're reading about in Romans chapter 13 who do not get the chance to say if this person or that person should govern them. They are forced under government. They are subjected to government. I'm reminded of what Jesus told Pilate in John chapter 19 and in verse 11 of the text. John 19 verse 11. When he says, uh, the, Pilate asks him, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? That's the kind of government many people live under. And Jesus answers him, you would have no authority over me at all. Make note of that. At all. Unless it had been given to you from above. Paul says in verse 2, therefore... Here's the conclusion of that. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And if you don't have that word underlined will, you should. It reminds us who we are under civil authorities. Doesn't say that they should, doesn't say that they might, it says that they will incur 
judgment. Civil disobedience will ultimately incur two things for us. The judgment of a heavenly judge and the judgment of a civil judge. And neither one of them really strike me as wanting to be on the wrong side of that. And then Paul changes gears for us as we look there in verse 3 of the text, speaking about why God created government. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. That is their intended purpose by God, if we're to understand what Paul is, is teaching us. To, to encourage good and to discourage evil. Notice what he goes on to say in this text. Would you have no fear of, uh, would you, uh, I'm sorry, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And will you receive uh, his approval for what he, uh, uh, and, and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. So Paul says government is meant to be on our side as citizens. To do what is good for us as citizens. So that we don't end up living in fear. So that we don't end up in oppression. So that we don't end up in the danger of, of, uh, of those who love evil. And do evil toward other people. So that we don't have to live in a harmful, threatening kind of an environment. As citizens under our government. If a person's committed a crime, they are meant to fear the reprisal, the punishment, from government, from governing authorities. If they've been lawful, then they should expect approval from governing authorities. What Paul makes clear from these verses is that God supports law and order. That is actually a very biblical concept. It's a very biblical teaching. God expects governments to enforce law and order. In fact, it's why He created governments. A person might think governments are created by people. They have never been created by people. God instituted government control. Just as marriage, He created good. Created it for good, right? The same thing is true with home and family. It's created not for evil, but for good. The church created for good, the good of mankind, the good of God's family. Paul says government is created to function to our good as well. If you want to see what God sees in these things that we're talking about, when those things are not in place, if you want to see what he thinks about that, then take a look at Judges chapter 17, verse 6. I'll just read it to you just for sake of time. In those days, there were no kings in Israel. Anybody remember what he says after that? Everyone did what was right in their own sight. And it was one of the lowest points in Israel's entire history. They were absolutely in chaos, completely corrupted from the top all the way down. Why? Because they'd been doing what was right in their own sight. Government had no control. Paul provides an essential reminder and, and he gives us guidance on the issue of inappropriate resistance of a child of God living under a government that's doing what it's supposed to. And God's intended purpose for government control. 
in these, in these short few verses. Uh, it's a good thing to listen to what God is saying. We see that uh, there's this warning in verses 4 and 5 of the text. Notice that with me, verses 4 and 5. If you do wrong, be afraid. <laughs> Can you get more plain than that? And then he says, for he does not, the government, the governmental authorities, do not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So Paul gives us three reasons here in this text as to why we do well to listen to the teaching that he's setting forth in this chapter. The first thing we see is because he says uh, government does not carry its weapon, its sword, its weapon in vain. You ever been to countries where the where the police are dressed in, in camouflage and they're wearing Uzis or ARs or AKs or whatever? Uh, you get a true sense they're not there just to show anything off. I mean, they, you really understand that's the authority right there. We don't always see that in our country. Uh, and we don't always hear of that being the way that it is, that it should be in our country. People get away with, with just flaunting the laws and, and the police are not able to do anything about that at times. That's not the way that God intended it, as we're reading here in this text. Their purpose is to maintain order and structure for citizens that are living under that governmental rule. Whether it is from getting a traffic ticket, which I'd like to stop, not traffic ticket, a traffic warning, which I'd like to see more of, by the way, Keith. Uh, warnings are great. Warnings are great. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Don't speed in you. I, I got it. I got it. Why do we act like that? Because we understand their authority, right? To the death penalty. Uh, that's true. Government has been created to maintain order within a civilization. Some of our young people may have been taught about policemen that they have no real authority policemen will help them figure out they absolutely do. And that's why we have so many young people hurting so much when they're rioting, when they're burning places down, and the government steps in. Because they don't realize government is created by God and is overseen by God, and things will happen when they choose to break laws. We are mistaken if we think that there will not be consequences for thumbing our nose at the authorities, ignoring, flagrantly disobeying the laws that have been given for them to, instru uh, to instruct civilization regarding. When we think that they don't have authority, we are sadly mistaken because God gave them that authority and God will see to it. The second thing we notice out of this text, and most importantly, as Paul mentions, God's wrath is involved in all of this. Let's not, let's not overlook that. It's one thing to be in trouble with mankind, 
the civil court or whatever, criminal court. It's a different thing to be in trouble with God. That is no small thing, especially when one considers the eternal consequences that being in trouble with God carries with it. (laughs) That's pretty important, right? Our internal conscience is also mentioned in this text. It should bother us, brothers and sisters, when we know what a law says and we just don't care and we just do whatever we want. That should bother us. It should eat us. It should eat a, eat away at us, because we recognize God created government. God put government in place for a reason. It is an extension of God's divine working among mankind, the world. Whether it is those who are Christians or those who are not, that's God's extension of His authority to mankind. For because of this, he says, because of these three factors, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God. The church is not the only place that has ministers of God. So does government, Paul says. Attending to this very thing, what thing? Rewarding good, punishing evil. That's their job. That's their purpose. Our conscience is part of all of that. At least it's supposed to be. I found this letter from a man that was written to the IRS. And he wrote the following. He said, Gentlemen, enclosed, you will find a check for $1,000. I cheated on my taxes last year, and it's keeping me awake. I cannot sleep. That's our conscience. He went on to say, If I still have trouble sleeping, I'll go ahead and send the rest. (laughs) You know, some of us might complain about taxes. I, I think that I'm... Probably more than anybody else here, I think I complain about taxes. I don't know if that's the case, but I do my fair share, I know that. But there is a reason for taxation. And Paul talks about it here in this text. We're told taxes are meant to assist the authorities. And why should we care about assisting the authorities? Because they are instruments of God. (laughs) Ministers of God. Therefore, he says in verse 7, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Christians, listen, we don't short people we owe. It's that way on the job. It's that way in our personal living. It's that way at the grocery store. It's that way at uh, the department store. It's that way when it comes to our government. We do not hold back what is properly owed. We owe. We pay what we are what we owe. Person says, Well, I don't like what they're charging. Well, then we can move to another country. But I'll tell you this, it'll be higher. <laughs> and that's the way that Paul is, is, is proceeding to teach us in this text. We pay what we owe. We don't go about owing people and not paying our debts. Not paying what we owe them. The same is true with regard to our attitude. Notice what he says. Respect to whom respect and honor to whom honor is due. We pay those things. Why? Because we're, we're children of God. This place is not our home. Getting by not paying a few dollars in taxes at the expense of eternity, is that really worth that? We who are Christians... 
are not only to obey God, but we're to be good citizens in our nation, in our state, and in our city. Because that displays who God is. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but because of who is doing it. A child of God. If you love your country, the best thing that you can do is live as a Christian is told to live in a country that we live in. Make the greatest impression on authorities just by being a Christian. Helps people look when they want to know why is it that you are the way you are to ask the question and you give them the answer because I'm a child of God. We can't impress our country anymore than to respect what Scripture says. To think the way God thinks and to act the way God says to. There's no better way to change a country, to be a better kind of country, than to just be a Christian. No greater force than that. People try to riot and people try to, you know, they do all kind of things, try to get attention. The best way to get attention is to be a child of God. That'll do more than anything. But what about when a government isn't fulfilling its created purpose as we've looked at tonight out of Romans chapter 13? Obeying government is the right thing to do except in those places where in government would enact laws that are absolutely contrary to what God says. There's a place where we can look at this and it's the place we'll end this evening. I'd like for you to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 5. We'll, we'll be able to draw a clear line between a, product, a productive citizen and a citizen who cannot, who should not cooperate with the government. And I think this is a great way to do it just by looking at two texts from the Bible and then drawing our proper conclusions from that. When government attempts to silence us from speaking out, from living out what God wants in a child of God's life, when government directly assaults God's demands of us as children of God, then we are taught by God that we should obey Him rather than man. Now that's a direct quote from what we're looking at here this evening. To consider this point, Acts 5 is a great place to go. We learn the apostles had been doing the work that God had given them to do in the city of Jerusalem. And as God had directed them to do, that's what they were about. But the high priest, we read in verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the, the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, now notice what he said to do. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, the way, the way of life, the gospel. Verse 21, and, they did, uh, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Look down at verse 25. And some came and told the apostles, uh, or told the authorities, look, the men that you, whom you uh, put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them out. But not by force, for they were afraid 
of being stoned by the people. Now stop and think for a second. In order for that scenario to take place, the apostles had to willingly go with the authority. There's no fighting. There's no throwing bottles at each other. There's none of that kind of stuff. Police don't have to pull out the nightsticks, start beating the apostles because they're not going to go along with them. They obey authority. Do you notice that? They're still obeying authority. Verse 27, when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you, in, and you in, uh, intend to bring this man's blood on us. They're not intending to do that. That was true. <laughs> They're not making stories up. That's actually what took place. The blood of Jesus was on them. But Peter, verse 29, and the apostles answered, just like to point out, it's Peter, because everybody thinks Peter's a big mouth, right? Here Peter says exactly what needs to be said, and he does it with force. Peter and the rest of the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, We've heard of him before. A teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up. And he gave, order, uh, he gave orders to, to put the men, the apostles, outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Look down in verse 38. Keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles in, they let them go. Well, if you're reading along with me, you know that's not what happened. They called the apostles in and they beat them. That's a hello, how are you doing, thank you, from a government, right? Charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I have to say to you, that is a far cry from not being happy with what my government charges me for taxes and saying I'm going to cheat. Right? I'm going to rebel because here's the thing. Christians have the right when they're messed with like that to not do what government tells us to do. I'm just pointing out to you, the Bible gives a very clear line as to where we are to place ourselves under the authority of government and where it is okay and God expects us not to. I will say to you, the only place I can find in Scripture is like this. When Christians rebelled against government and did what the authorities told them not to do, it is only because their Christianity absolutely depended upon that. Following Jesus absolutely depended on not doing what was contrary to what God said for them to actually do. I'd say to you that that's true, that's true still today as it was then. That we're still under the authority of the government until the time that the government tells us 
Those of you who are pregnant with children need to start killing your children. No, can't do that. Those of you who are preaching and teaching the gospel, no more preaching and teaching the gospel. No, no, we, we have to obey God rather than men. You see the differences in those kind of moral issues? And politics. When we're forced to choose between bowing to what is sinful, we must be like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach. And to bed we go. Or to, be, to Bendigo. <laughs> and we must not bow. But brothers and sisters, anything short of that kind of thing, the Scriptures clearly teach us. Be good citizens of the country in which you live. Of the authorities that you find yourself under. And you influence them as Christians. Influence people around them. What is the greater price, ladies and gentlemen? What is the greater price? The greatest price we can pay for not listening to what Paul says about God and government and us, children of God. The greatest price we can pay is to let down that great name. The Savior who bought us with a price and said to us, I prepare for you a place where I'm going. Let us never forget our home is in heaven. It's not here. Until then, we become children of God and we live as God would have us to do under any system of government, whether it's this one or another, because that's what honors the Savior who bought us and paid for us. We can confidently know when we do that, we're doing the right thing. We can confidently understand that is what pleases God because that is what God has instructed. You know, some, some, this kind of extreme, these, these kind of extreme things we're talking about tonight, that may seem awfully strong to some who are listening this evening. I understand that. But what other choice does a child of God have knowing it is not God but government that is in I mean it is not government but God that is in control. What other choice do we have? He is our guiding light. He is our rock and our salvation. In good times and in bad times, it's he who sustains us and upholds us in his hand. And we want to be right with him. We want him to be right with us too. We know when all is said and done, it will be him who gives the judgment. And it will be Him and His people who stand victorious. Government serves as God's servant, just as we are to serve as God's servants. If you'd like to know and to live with such confidence that we're talking about this evening, worst time in my life was when I was living in gray areas where I wasn't really sure I didn't understand. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know that I could even know the answers to such things like this that we've even talked about. God gives clear-cut answers. Maybe you've been living your life in this gray area where I don't know if God's happy. I don't know if He's not. I don't know what I should do. God will cut through all of that for you. But the first step that you need to take this evening is coming to Him. And He'll show you the way from there on out. If we can help you in that tonight, well, won't you come forward? But together we stand and as we sing.